Hi, this is John, by the way, and I'm here to talk about First Nephi chapters 6 through 10. The title in the official Come Follow Me manual is Come and Partake of the Fruit. And you may have noticed that the new manual is now has like children's illustrations in it. It has little symbols in it of, you'll see an open book kind of in blue, a tiny icon, and those are marked to show things that are particularly useful for youth lessons. I happen to have heard. Anyway, first of all, I, chapter 6, 1 Nephi chapter 6 is rather short, but I use it when I uh, teach Book of Mormon at the beginning of each semester. Look at 1 Nephi 6, 6. It says this, Wherefore, I shall give commandment unto my seed, that they shall not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth unto the children of men. So here's a commandment from Nephi as he's writing, telling everybody who's going to write afterwards to not waste any space on the plates. Don't put things in here which are not of worth, which is motivating to me. It, it makes me think that as we go through and perhaps we come across something, we think, why is this in here? Why is this chapter in here? Why are these Isaiah chapters here? Whatever. I think all of Nephi's posterity kept this commandment from Nephi. Therefore, it puts us in the position of saying, okay, this is worthwhile. I have to figure out why. If it's not obvious to me, I'm going to wrestle with it and figure out why this is in here. So that's a, a useful verse to me in 1 Nephi 6 6. In 1 Nephi chapter 7, we get Lehi's sons returning to Jerusalem to get Ishmael and everybody. And on their way home, they have this uh, little rebellion, and maybe we should go back to Jerusalem. And I, I like to underline these re repetitive things, like in 1 Nephi 7, verse 10, 11, 12, how is it that ye have forgotten that ye have seen an angel of the Lord? Yea, how is it that ye have forgotten what great things the Lord hath done for us? And delivering us out of the hands of Laban, and also that we should obtain the record. Yea, verse 12, how is it that ye have forgotten that the Lord is able to do all things according to his will for the children of men, if it so be they exercise faith in him? Wherefore, let us be faithful unto him. I love the repetition, how is it that ye have forgotten? And my classes get tired of me saying this, but because I use it all semester long, but President Spencer W. Kimball said years ago that when you look in the dictionary for the most important word, do you know what it is? And he said, it could be remember. And it's really kind of fun to watch for remember and forget in the Book of Mormon. Here's three in a row. How could ye have forgotten? Well, anyway, this is where they bind Nephi and everything, and then he loosed the bands. They ask him to forgive they ask Nephi to forgive them, and he said, I did frankly forgive them, but I asked them to pray to God for forgiveness in verse 21. And then we get 1 Nephi chapter 8. Now, this is one of the most important uh, chapters to all of us because we all know this is Lehi's dream. 1 Nephi chapter 8 is Lehi's dream. Once we get to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, then we are getting Nephi's vision of Lehi's dream. But Lehi's dream 
is a little simpler, just kind of lays down the elements that we're all familiar with. The rod of iron, the, the path, the great spacious building, and of course, the tree of life. And once he mentions these, then when, when Nephi wants to see what his father had seen, he gets kind of the vision on two screens, and we will for sure talk about that later. I think it's interesting that years ago, there was a youth theme Second Nephi 31, you know how they do a theme every year for the, for the youth, a scriptural theme. And the theme was, you must press forward. Second Nephi 31, 19, and 20. And because of those themes, I usually do some research and do a, write a youth talk. Well, I looked up the thought, the idea, the phrase of press forward. And my memory is there were like eight of them in the scriptures, and five of them are all in Lehi's dream. So it's a, it's a phrase that is not used very much, but where it is used is a lot in First Nephi chapter 8. And the idea of, of pressing forward, or we must press forward, is a, a persistence, is, is get on a path and move type of a, type of a phrase. And we see it so often in Lehi's dream. I wrote a book years ago, and this is one of those cases where I, I kind of missed it on the title. The first title for it was Lifestyles of the Great and Spacious, which I thought was kind of funny because it was a play on the TV show from long ago called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And people, I guess, like to watch what rich and famous people did. So I thought, oh, this will be funny, Lifestyles of the Great and Spacious. But if that title describes the book, who wants to read about that? Who wants to read about what the people in the Great and Spacious Building are doing? We would rather read and know about what we are supposed to do at the Tree of Life. So <laughs> that kind of didn't uh, do that well until I changed the title. And so Desert Book changed the title to Finding Your Path in Lehi's Dream. And that was a blast to write. So I did a youth theme talk. If any of you have Desiree Bookshelf, these, I think this audio, the, as soon as a product gets kind of old, then it's free if you have Desiree Bookshelf. I have Desiree Bookshelf, which is kind of like Desiree Books Kindle app. I have hundreds of books and audio things on there. But I think the talk version was called Forward Pressing Forward. And then later I just wrote a whole book about Lehi's Dream. The way that it's titled now is Finding Your Path in Lehi's Dream. And kind of I did a, a quick summary at the end of the book, kind of bullet points, something I could give to my class. And that's what I want to run through right now. Okay, so First Nephi 8, verses 4 through 6 and verse 9, kind of teach us you have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. I think that is an awesome lesson. And it's so frequent in the scriptures and in individual lives. There's a wilderness experience before we get to the promised land. And an angel shows up who's in white and leads Lehi through the darkness. Now, I'm going to say he leads him through the darkness. It sounds kind of strange. Why would an, a man in white that's, I presume, an angel take you to darkness? Well, perhaps he's leading him through the darkness. Maybe this is symbolic of the fall of man or something like that. You'll also notice that he, Lehi feels lost, he prays, and finally 
when he finished his prayer, he said he beheld, which sounds like the Lord turned the lights on after he prayed. And then 1 Nephi 8, verses 10 through 12, the first thing that Lehi sees is the, is the tree of life. And he says the fruit is above, most sweet above all that I had ever before tasted. And what I like about this is it's, it's better than anything else life can offer. There are other enjoyments in the world, but they're temporary, and nothing comes close to the lasting joy that the Savior offers. Now, notice that Lehi encounters the tree before anything else, and not everyone encounters the elements of the dream in the same order. Sariah, Sam, and Nephi are standing as if they knew not whither they should go, and that's in verse 14. A great footnote to put there is Doctrine and Covenants section 123, verses 12 and 13, where it says that there are many who are, who are, quote, kept from the truth only because they know not where to find it. They're not bad. They just don't know where it is. So they're looking. So we send missionaries out and, and everything. So here's Sariah, Sam, and Nephi who didn't know where to go. And Lehi called to them, with a loud voice and said, Come unto me. Now that phrase, come unto me, in verse 15, should sound familiar. It's the same invitation that the Savior uses so often. Okay, First Nephi 8, 18 and 19 tells us that Laman and Lemuel were there, but they, they would not come. There's a big difference between would not come and could not come. So this was a personal choice on their part. Another thing I love about verses after Lehi tastes of the fruit is that he was desirous that his family should partake of it also. And I feel like if anyone has ever been to a restaurant and had something wonderful, first thing you do, oh my goodness, you've got to try this. This is so good. You've got to taste this. We want to share it with others. We want to enjoy it with others, which is the, the best motive for wanting to share the gospel. You have to taste what I have found. And interestingly, after Alma teaches about planting the seed, the word, and growing a tree of life in your heart, he says, Alma 36, 24, from that time until now, I have labored without ceasing that I might bring souls unto repentance, that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste. Notice he used taste, not feel. Taste what I have tasted, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Highest motive for going on a mission is Alma 36, 24. I probably had mixed motives. My dad went, my brothers went, I should go. It's the right thing to do. I admire return missionaries. I probably had a pie chart of different reasons to go. And I think that got refined over time. When you start to see people taste the fruit of the gospel, it's, it's exciting, it's humbling, it's, it's wonderful. And maybe then you get more to where Alma was in Alma 36, 24. We talked about how could you have forgotten three times. Now look at verses 19, 20, and 21 in 1 Nephi 8, where Lehi says, the tree by which I stood. And in verse 20, the tree by which I stood. And in verse 21, the tree by which I stood. And if there's a subtle message there, once Lehi has found the tree, 
he's not going anywhere. The tree by which I stood. I've I've thought about writing a book about, you know, staying in the church and calling it the tree by which I stood. So maybe I will one day. Anyway, Lehi speaks of this path. And the Bible speaks of a straight and narrow path. But Lehi's dream kind of adds a rod of iron to this path, which is a guide rail, guides you to the tree, and also a guardrail, which protects you. And the path is straight, as in S-T-R-A-I-T, and it's also straight, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. The first straight means restricted and narrow, like the Strait of Gibraltar. And the other straight means undeviating. It doesn't turn to the right or to the left. Continuing, it's, easy, it's interesting to note that mists of darkness, according to Hugh Nibley, were a nightmare symbol to ancient Arab poets. That was the worst thing, to be in the desert at night and then have a mist of darkness come. And he doesn't just say, you know, it's a white puffy mist that was in the darkness, but it was a dark mist even. And I believe that this darkness, this mist creates a sort of blindness and it isolates travelers from others on the path. And the effect, therefore, would be loneliness and the decision to continue or to give up becomes an individual decision. And I think that's true for all of us. This is my grandma and grandpa's church. This is my parents' church. I hope our young people can get to the point where this is my church. And I'm going to press forward because I have tasted the fruit. So before this mist of darkness arose, the rod of iron could have been an unused benefit. But when the mist arises, it becomes the only way to make progress. It sounds to me like if you are not already holding on to the rod of iron, when the mist of darkness comes, then you could be lost. And I, I suppose you could say that sometimes we're driven to our scriptures when times are tough, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we are gripping the scriptures, the rod of iron, the word of God, even in good times, so that when the mists of darkness do come, we are already holding tight. Now, there are words in Lehi's dream, in 1 Nephi 8, about commencing, about clinging, and about continually holding fast. Elder David A. Bednar has given a whole talk about those different phrases, and the one that we want is continually holding fast. In 1 Nephi 8, 26, I am still going down this, this list of a quick summary from 1 Nephi 8 from my book, Finding Your Path in Lehi's Dream. But in 1 Nephi 8, you'll notice the building is high. Is It stood, as it were, in the air high above the earth. And usually when I ask my classes, what is it about this building that's in the air? What does that tell you? And the usual answer is it has no foundation, which is true. Buildings with no foundation fall. But also there's a footnote, a strange one to Ephesians 2.2, which calls an odd name for Satan, calls him the prince of the power of the air. Well, I looked up in Bruce R. McConkie's commentary, and he said that in the latter days that Satan's influence would be in the very air around us, which is fascinating when you think of Wi-Fi and cell service and satellites and stuff, that Satan's influence is everywhere. It's inescapable. It's in the air around us. Wow. In 1 Nephi 8, verses 27 and 28, we find out 
The people in the building were adorned in costly apparel. There's a representation of wealth being more important than worship. They were old and young. I, I think that's fascinating. I, I think if a 70-year-old walks into a junior high, no offense, 70, 80-year-olds, and says to the youth, I don't like the way that you're dressing, I don't think they care. But what if it's their peers? And this building is full of old and young, male and female. And peer pressure, particularly powerful when you are young. Young people govern themselves kind of more by example than by principle, usually. In verse 28, after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed. Now, please notice they only tasted the fruit. In Alma 32, 42, they were feasting upon the fruit. This was a taste, and they looked around as if they were ashamed. And I feel like this critical moment, once they tasted and looked around, we have to prepare our youth for that moment. They're, they're going to hear the great and spacious at some point. Will they at that point be able to say, I don't care what you people say, this fruit is delicious. Or will they say, oh, am I dumb? Am I stupid? I, sh I should leave this tree. We've got to prepare them for that moment. A few other things that I think are fascinating. Interestingly, the activity of choice for those in the building is to go to the windows and point. Isn't that kind of strange? Elder Neil A. Maxwell said once, you'd think there'd be more to do in such a spacious building, like maybe a bowling alley. But instead, there's, he says, maybe in their disinterest, there's some interest, or maybe they're a little insecure about what we're doing at the tree in there. They go to the windows and point. Seeing it all at once, I put in my outline, First of all, all of us are in the dream. This is one of those parables where every inhabitant of the earth is described in this dream. You are in one of these four places in Lehi's dream. You're either at the tree, you're in strange and forbidden path, you are in the building, or you are, there's four groups in Lehi's dream, you are lost. The tree of life Vision is sometimes called the parable of the paths, and it's interesting that Jesus' parable of the sower also splits humanity into four groups, and they correspond exactly with the four groups in Lehi's dream. Another thing that's interesting is the tree is an eternal symbol. How do you find the beginning of a tree? It comes from a seed, which comes from a tree, which comes from a seed, and you can't find the beginning of that. On the other hand, the building is man-made. It's going to fall and crumble. The tree can be in us. The fruit can be in us. The love of God can be in us as we live and work in a great and spacious world. The dream is kind of a battle of feelings. Some feel joy at the tree. Others feel their way towards the great and spacious building because they're blinded. Anyway, it's a fascinating dream. It's fascinating because we're all in it. And at first, Lehi says they were mocking those at the tree. And then he said, later on, they were pointing at me. It became personal and those who are partaking at the tree. And that's how it is at life. We are all at some point going to be mocked for, for what we are doing or we could be enjoying this tree. Then at the very end, I kind of like that Lehi did exhort Laman and Lemuel with all the feeling of a tender parent. Apparently in Lehi's mind, this dream wasn't, this is what will happen, but this is what could happen if they stay on the same path. 
And it always reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge, who asks the ghost of Christmas future, are these the shadows of things that must be or the shadows of things that might be? And apparently, Lehi thinks it's only what might be if you continue on this path. Gratefully, it doesn't happen in First Nephi 8, but we have seen people who have left the great and spacious building and made their way to the tree. It happens all the time. And hopefully, we are inspired by stories like that. Maybe that is your story. There's a guy in my ward who said, I did 25 years of field research in the great and spacious building, <laughs> but now is at the tree, the tree by which I stood. The tree is where he's going to stay. Well, wonderful vision in First Nephi 8. It's, it's one that's so applicable that we can use and think about every day. And I'm excited to visit with you next time and talk about Nephi's vision of Lehi's dream and the interpretations that Nephi sees. We'll see you next time.